All right, our kids can head back with our Redemption Kids team, and they're going to be exiting out the very top. So you can see our team up there, and that'll be the best way to take them to their things like table, the best route to take them to uh, their kids' classes. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's indestructible word to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So if you happen to pick up one of the Bibles we provide uh, in the lobby, it's page 909, uh, dear, of those Bibles. And I uh, just want to pray again and ask God to, to move as we hear from Him in His Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for being a good Father. You're the kind of Father that knows us better than we know ourselves. You're the kind of Father that loves us so much that You would wake up in the middle of the night just to hold us, just to to whisper in our ears, to speak words of calm and support and love. And yet, God, we celebrate that You're a powerful God. You're uh, you, being God, you don't have to wake up. You, you, never, you never go to sleep. So you are our good Father, but you are our unstoppable God. Nothing can stop your work in this world. God, nothing can stop your work in our lives right now. So God, may these moments not be anything about what you want them to be. Speak to us, God. Right where we need to hear from you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we are coming to a watershed moment. Okay, and this is, this is a watershed moment, not simply for these faithful followers of Jesus who saw him live this perfect life and die this cruel death and rise again from the dead, okay? But this is a watershed moment that is not only going to change them, but is going to change history itself, so, so, so what we have in the Bible is the story of the one true God who is a promise maker and he is a promise keeper, all right? I don't know, I don't know you may have met a made promise maybe in your life and maybe you didn't uh, hold good on that promise. Maybe someone made you a promise. They didn't hold good on that promise intentionally or unintentionally, right? Uh, but I can tell you this, God's never made a promise that he hasn't kept. So this is the God we're coming to this morning. This this God promised a a Messiah, and he delivered the Messiah in the man, Jesus Christ. This man was his son, the eternal son of God, shows up, born of a virgin, lives this beautiful life to God, um, dies in our place on a Roman cross, and rises from the dead. But After he rose, we saw last week, he teaches his followers, hey, the kingdom looks like this, and you're going to continue this kingdom mission, and so I need you to be locked in here, and I need you to wait for this ultimate gift that I'm going to give you, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to give you a power that you've never known before. And your lives are never going to be the same. And this world is never going to be the same. And for everyone, and this includes us here today, for everyone who looks to me and believes in me and follows me, they will never be the same as well. And so this morning, I want to take us into this story, and I want us to think about what it would look like if, if, if we would live lives that are never the same because of God's work in us, what would it look like to reflect the Spirit's transforming presence through prayer and a powerful life? Okay, those are the two themes, a praying people and a powerful people, all because the Spirit has come and given us the very presence of God. That's where we're going to pick up here in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And this is what Luke writes for us. It says this, then, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. With the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, el that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Okay, two truths we break down these passages one by one. Okay, number one, a church united in prayer will never be the same, all right? 
a church united and just be thinking about your own life and be thinking about our church as we think about the early church. So church united in prayer will never be the same. What we find is the apostles, after the resurrection of Jesus, after he taught them about the kingdom, okay, he, he tells them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they return to Jerusalem and they meet in this upper room. Okay, This could have been, we're not sure, but it could have been the same upper room where Jesus shared the last meal with his disciples. Um, now, not only were the apostles there, but there were also women there gathered with the apostles. And we're not sure if these maybe were the apostles' wives. Uh, probably they were women who had gathered around Jesus in his final hours when he was crucified. Luke tells us there were women gathered around uh, the cross. Um, but uh, we definitely know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, as were Jesus' brothers. And Mark chapter 6 uh, tells us their names, James, Judas, Joseph, and Simon. And this is amazing because in Mark 6, his family, Jesus' own family, if you're ever misunderstood, just take heart because Jesus understands, okay? Um, his own family didn't understand him. They thought he had lost his mind. They did not believe he was the Messiah. But now, I'm sure having seen Jesus uh, after he rose from the dead, have now connected the dots and, oh, yes, you are the Son of God. Oh, yes, you are the Messiah. Oh, yes, you're not just my brother, okay, half-brother, but you are, wow, my Savior and Deliverer. But what were they doing? They were, don't miss verse 14, please, no verse 14. It is the meta memo verse 4 this week, which that just, if you're new to redemption, it's kind of a weird word. We uh, kind of borrow from some friends. We just meditate on a particular verse. We think about it a lot, and we try to memorize it, all right, meta memo. You know, don't make fun of us in your heart right now, all right? But, but we just like value the scriptures, okay? So we want to know. So this is the verse for this week, all right? They, they were devoting themselves to prayer, and this prayer, I love, I love what it says. It says that they were praying with one accord. All right? In other words, they were united in their praying. Their, their purposes and motivations and desires and requests, okay? They were all locked in together with their prayers ascending to God. Even though there were many people praying, okay? They were all praying as one to God. So let me just make a quick observation. We're going to see this theme of unity again and again in the book of Acts. As we will see, I would say underline, highlight, whatever you're doing, okay, with a pen, you know, a little finger on your, your iPad or your iPhone or whatever, okay? Underline all the instances where you see prayer in the book of Acts. Because this is so, so important to see prayer and unity and, and how they work together, all right? Unity is difficult to build, but it is easy to destroy. I think we have great unity in our church. I really do. I'm so thankful for that. But, but you know, it, it just kind of takes a few of us just kind of led kind of into like a, a grumbling, kind of complaining spirit. We start even well-intentioned, right? It's like, you know, well, the music this, the sermon that, my small group that, and, and then all of a sudden we stop Build, using words that build one another up. Uh, and even when we have like, hey, we're going to have concerns, right? We're even going to have some disagreements. Like, are we a family? Absolutely, right? And so um, rather than like, you know, um, talking about one another, we want to talk to one another, 
right, and work through our differences. But, but this is the beautiful part, all right? And, and we talked about this back in September, and I talked about it again in October, and so now I'm talking about it again in February. Thank you, all right? If, if we have any differences or dissension or conflict between one another, and we are sure to at some point, right, because we're, we're family, the best solution is to pray together. You get in the same room with somebody and you start praying with that person and see if the temperature doesn't change. So good. They were a praying church. They were united in prayer. They were seeking God together. They were praying for, we see two things in particular, okay? Um, They were praying for guidance and they were praying for the Spirit to come. All right, so first they're, they're praying for guidance. One of the first and most important decisions they had to make was regarding their leadership. Okay, so we, we sing about it. Uh, Jesus was betrayed by this one, as Acts 1 reminds us, a man named Judas. Okay, Judas was one of Jesus' 12 closest followers. All right, he was one of, one of his, his closest followers who, who walked with him and did life with him and saw him work these miracles and heard all of his teaching, okay? And, and we're shocked at the end of the gospel to see that Judas goes to the Roman authorities, and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. They bought him out. The Pharisees worked to conspire with Judas so that he would give up Jesus so that Jesus might be crucified. And so, yes, it was part of the promised plan of God for Jesus to voluntarily give up his own life, but this does not negate the evil that was in the heart of Judas, being influenced by the evil one, Satan, to go and betray his mentor and teacher, Jesus Christ. And so I would just say again, like, wow, shouldn't we, shouldn't we be warned by that? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we take that as a warning that uh, none of us are, are beyond, like we can even be that close to Jesus. We can come to Redemption Hill every single Sunday, right? But if we don't persevere, if we don't stay uh, keep keeping in step with the Spirit, um, then, then, then we can be in danger, right, of, of, of maybe showing that our faith was never genuine in the first place, which was the case with Judas. And so what, what happens then is um, the, the, the other 11 apostles those who were faithful to, to Jesus, said, hey, we, we have some work to do, okay? We have some work to do. We need to identify one other person who will make the 12 complete again. And why do they do this, okay? They, they did it because they knew their Bible well, all right? And they, they go back to the book of Psalms, which, by the way, it says the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. This is why we believe that this is God's book, not man's book. Okay, God inspired this book right here. Okay, and they said, look, um, we need to select another person to take his place. And, and not only because they saw it in scriptures, but uh, surely they knew that Jesus chose not ten apostles, not not, not eight apostles, he chose 12. And what is the significance there? The significance is that the, the people of Israel were made up distinctly of how many tribes? 12. And so when Jesus selects his 12 apostles, okay, they are representative of the new people of God. So that all who hear their message and believe in Christ 
are brought into that new people just like they have been. And so they need to identify one more apostle. And it says that they prayed, they prayed intensely, and then they left it in the Lord's hands by, I think what we could say is an extreme measure, okay? They cast lots. And so, so just imagine maybe we have like a pot here and we marked stones um, in, in, dropped them in the pot and shake it up and then boom, let the stones fall. And we see, is it Matthias or is it um, justice? And so I would just, I would just say, look, like we don't, we don't cast lots today. All right, we don't like we see no command in the New Testament to cast lots. We 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 hear no teaching from Jesus that this should be a practice today. It was an Old Testament practice, okay, before the new covenant comes, right? Where we're gonna see right here. Um, but what's so beautiful about this practice, even in the Old Testament, is that these people were not just like picking up a pair of dice and saying, like, boom, here you go. Okay, like they were earnest in prayer saying, God, you are sovereign. You are in control of everything. And so we're going to put this matter before you in prayer. And then we're going to put this matter in your hands, even by casting lots before you. They were earnestly seeking God's direction and the lot fell on Matthias. He was chosen by God through the prayers of God's people to continue building this foundation of the early church. The church was built on the prophets and the apostles, Ephesians 2 says. And so now, even today, we, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because they received that, that teaching from Jesus himself and then communicated it in words that were verbal and also written down for us in the scriptures. And so they prayed for guidance and they prayed for the coming of God's Spirit. You say, well, Tanner, I didn't see that when you were reading through verses, you know, 13 through 26. Um, how, how does that work? Well, I think it's certainly implied, okay, because Jesus, what? In, in the beginning of chapter 1, we saw last week, he says, you are going to go to Jerusalem and you are going to wait there for this promised Holy Spirit. And so we can see a connection looking back in the Old Testament. There is always, and I hope you hear this, there is always a connection between waiting and praying, okay? So, so we, we pray, we, we put things into God's hands, we trust him, and then whether it is in a few seconds, God is that powerful, by the way, whether it's in a few seconds or if it's in a few years, we pray and we wait. We pray and we wait. We pray and we wait. We expect God to fulfill what he has said. And so I love this. I love this principle here of what, what God says he will do, he will do. But God has ordained prayer to be the vehicle by which he often fulfills his promises. You're tracking with me. So, 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 like, God, I know you said that, but I'm going to keep praying for that. God, I know you said you will lead me into paths of righteousness for your name's sake, so God, would you lead me now? Jesus, I know you said you're coming back, but I even see Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, come, Lord Jesus. God, you told me you would give me peace in these moments. God, I need some peace right now. 
There's nothing wrong with this two-word prayer that I hope you build into the vocabulary of your prayer life, okay? God, now? God, how about right now? I mean, I love my kids, and, and so, like, this is how it works, and, and like, what's going on this week, Dad? Like, what are we going to do? I pick them up from school on Wednesdays. I try to make that the rhythm, and so uh, a lot of Wednesdays, we go and do something special, you know? So it's like, hey, we're going to get ice cream this week, you know? I mean, that's like, that's a big deal to, to a kid, you know? Eight, six, three, they love that. So if I tell them, hey, we're going to get ice cream this week, do you think that I care? If they come to me on Monday, is today the day? Tuesday, is today the day? Like, no. God is a good father. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to, to pray. Listen, pray down his promises. Pray them down. Believe God. Take God at his word and pray his promises. Listen, I... I hope. I, I, for those of you that are new to Redemption, I'm talking like new in the last few months, which is, by the way, we love that. Like, we always have new people coming into life for our church, and we're a growing church in Medford. We're so thankful for that. But, but one thing that we recognize, and this was really very personal to me because it, it was something that God uh, had to reveal to me. Okay, and this is just a short story, but uh, basically I, I went and spent some time with, with God on a trip to Rhode Island and um, this was in August, and, and basically God says to me, hey, Tanner, guess what? You are a man who prays and values prayer, but you are not a praying man. Like, like the, the prayer just characterizes my life. When people think about me, they, they think, man, that guy prays. Like, if I need somebody to pray for me, I'm going to, to, to Pastor Tanner, because he's, he's a man of prayer. But then, but then even, even beyond that, another very tough realization was... Not a big surprise, okay, since I'm one of our pastors, I serve as our lead pastor, okay, is that I help lead a church who prays and values prayer, but I don't think we've been a praying church. And so from that time, we have been trying to take steps to build a culture of prayer in our church. And I am so thankful now in February, what is today, the 11th? Is it the 11th? Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, February 11th, I mean, we are in a different place. This culture of prayer is building, right? Like we are coming together. We are depending on God. Our prayers in groups are different. Our praying on Sundays even is different. People are praying together more frequently. I love what God is doing here. But listen, we've only just begun. We've only just begun. I hope you get excited about that, okay? So like this like, if, if we want to be a church united in prayer to see the power of God at work in us and through us, okay, then we have to keep seeking God in prayer. So we're going to do that. This winter, we're going to do that. This spring, we're going to do this. This summer, we're going to do that. Next fall, we're going to do that. 2019, 2020, okay, like, I'm not going to get to whatever, all right? But, but we are going to keep pressing in. So guess what? This Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. Lent is a, is, is, is a season where historically the churches, uh, not every church, but many churches have come together to say, hey, we're going to seek God in a very focused way through, get ready for this, fasting. Wow. Yeah, Jesus said, when you fast. Um, so fasting and prayer and word and seeking God together. And it's not like 
You know, this isn't like mandatory. It's like you're not less of a Christian if you choose not to do it, if it somehow violates your con- conscience because of the history of Lent or whatever. Like, I'm going to send an email out tomorrow to give some details on it. But I'm just saying, like Jesus said, uh, when you fast, it's an expectation. We're waiting for him. We're seeking more of him day by day by day. And so I just love that in between the beginning of the year when we cast this vision and this journey to Easter, okay, why not make that a great season of 40 days where we are seeking God by saying, you know what, I can do without some TV. I can even do without a meal on occasion. And I just want more and more and more of you, God. So, so I, I hope you'll, you'll jump in. Even if you're not about that fasting, you'll be about that prayer, okay, um, for this season of Lent. But then we're going to, we're going to have a group's night of, of prayer, just like we did in the fall. We're going to have that in a couple of weeks um, at the end of February. We're going to have another night of prayer in March at our new uh, community space, which we're about to name very, very soon, okay? Just hang on. We're going to get there. Um, and, and we're going to just continue to press in together to, to be united to build this culture of prayer. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for decisions that need to be made, just like the apostles here. And we're going to pray that God's Spirit would do His good work in us. Hope. I hope. You're excited about that. Hope. Excited about that. So, so here's, here's the deal. Um, don't miss this, okay? Prayer precedes God's power, all right? This is the the clear pattern of the New Testament. Prayer precedes the Spirit's power. Anybody know what Jesus was up to when he was baptized? And and you remember this moment in Luke chapter 3? Anybody start reading Luke? Last week I mentioned my sermon would be a good thing to do. Anybody? I'm just curious. You're not, you know, no extra points. Just curious. Um, I took my own, took my own advice. Uh, praise God. Uh, so, so, so Luke chapter, maybe you read this, okay? Luke chapter 3, okay? Jesus is baptized, and then what happens? The Spirit descends and, 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 and rests on him and empowers him for everything he's about to do. Oh, but what, 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 what was Jesus doing? Baptized and, say it with me, Praying. He was praying. Hmm. I guess we shouldn't be surprised then here. Disciples are praying. They're praying, waiting for this promise. They're praying, asking God to bring the promise. They didn't know what day it was going to be. They didn't know it was going to be Pentecost. Boom. Prayer precedes the Spirit's power. I love what one scholar said about um, Luke, he says, Luke seems to repeat the idea that the grand object of prayer is the gift of the Spirit, all right? So I just keep coming back to that September 3rd sermon, all right, where Luke, like God teaches, like Jesus teaches to pray, gives the Lord prayer. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Good Father, he's not going to give you, you know, things that you don't uh, benefit you, okay? But he's even going to give you more than that. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so I just think... That's not like a one-time deal. I just think that, yes, we receive, we're about to talk about it, okay? We receive the Spirit, okay, and He dwells in us, but then, okay, then we need God's Spirit to strengthen us day by day. Hello, Ephesians 3. 
We need God's Spirit to fill us day by day and moment by moment. Hello, Ephesians 5. So let's be a people that understand this pattern. The prayer precedes the Spirit's power. Not, not, only, not only will a united praying people never be the same, but then Luke helps us see very clearly in chapter 2 that a people baptized by the Spirit will never be the same. Read these 13 verses with me. Uh, this is the coming of the Spirit in a way that He's never come before at this moment of Pentecost, okay? Here, here we go. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them, each each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others Mocking said they are filled with new wine. What's happening here is the day of Pentecost was a, a, a time of festival for the Jewish people. Okay, they would they would pilgrimage from all over the, the known world at that time, okay? So we're talking from, from Rome, okay, Europe, all the way around to the Middle East and even into North Africa. And they would come to the, the seven weeks after the Feast of Passover when Jesus was crucified, okay, they would celebrate this Feast of Harvest um, before they would then later celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And so what you have here are people from all over the world coming together into Jerusalem. And this is a moment that God uses very strategically. God is a strategic God to bring his spirit to empowered the disciples like never before to be his witnesses in the world. And so verses 2 through 4, we have this undeniable manifestation of God's Spirit, okay, baptizing followers of Jesus. And it's represented in these three like otherworldly supernatural phenomena, okay? So just bear with me, but as I'm just going to walk through these, and it's so encouraging about how God is a creative God, and God is a promise-keeping God, and He is at work to bring His Spirit to His people, okay? So number one, verse two says, a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind filled the house. The Greek word is pneuma, which has both connotations of wind and spirit. Okay, so, so the Spirit coming 
in this sound of rushing wind, okay, wind or the breath of God was always associated with God bringing life where there is not life. We see this in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones and this this ruah, this wind of God coming to give life. But not only that, okay, we have Jesus in John 3 talking to this man named Nicodemus about the kingdom of God and how you have to be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. And then John uh, writes that Jesus says in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind, the wind blows where it wishes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The wind is a sign of the Spirit, as is the fire that shows up here in verse 3. It says, And divided tongues of as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So, so just as the wind is howling in the house where they're gathered, so there's this appearance of fire that then divides and rests over each person in the room. And like the wind represents, symbolizes the presence of God showing up, so does the fire. Maybe you've heard the story of the burning bush, Exodus, God shows up in a burning bush to call Moses to be the leader of the people uh, out of Egypt into the promised land. Perhaps you remember that God led his people through the wilderness in a pillar of what? Fire by night. And then when John the Baptist speaks of the greatness of Jesus, he says, look, hey, I, I am one, and my baptism is not insignificant. I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, pardon me if I get a little bit excited about that, okay? Because here's the reality, okay? And this should like get, put a smile on your face, all right? This might even cause you to say, wow, amen, all right? It's, that's not illegal in here, by the way, okay? It's like, if you are in Christ, you have the fire of God in you. Wow. The presence of God is in you. He has changed you. Wind, fire, and then this third, they are enabled to speak in languages they had never spoken in before. Verses 5 through 7 make plain that these are actual languages that people spoke and could hear. It's different than 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 when it's an unintelligible language that the Spirit is enabling people to speak in tongues to edify themselves and edify those around them. Okay, so those are two different realities, but both utterances, enablement of the Holy Spirit to enable people to speak in tongues that they've never spoken in before. And what I love about this, okay, and we need to really pay attention to this because it's true of the Gospels, okay, but it's also true in the book of Acts, and it's true today, all right, is that when, when a sign is being revealed, okay, like when God does something that is unexplainable to our just rational minds, okay, uh, and he works these wonders. What they are are signs, and what is a sign? A sign points to a greater reality. These wonders most often are windows for the word, okay, the word of God to say, hey, you want to know what's going on? Oh, let me tell you about the unstoppable God. 
Let me tell you about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That's what's going on here. And so I just want to take a few moments here to, because this is important. This is so important. Not only to understand your own life, because it's important to understand the book of Acts, okay? There is a distinction, all right? And, and, and believe me, there's like big time debate in the church and even among scholars about spirit baptism and spirit filling. I want to do my best to help you understand it this morning because it's really pivotal for understanding the book of Acts and understanding your own Christian life, okay? So, so what we have here, okay, all of this is the fulfillment of Jesus, what he said in chapter 1, verse 5, wait for the promised Holy Spirit with whom I will baptize you. Okay, so Jesus says, I will baptize you with the Spirit. That's what's going on in Acts 2. Interestingly, Luke uses a word that says they were filled with the Spirit. Now, don't be too uh, caught off guard by that because later in Acts, we will see the Spirit described as poured out, coming upon, and received, okay, all to describe this initial work of God's Spirit to change our lives, to cause us to be born again, through our repentance and faith in Jesus, okay? So, so let me just give you a, a definition of spirit baptism, okay? Spirit baptism, okay, this, the spirit immersing, covering, engulfing a, a, a believer in Christ, a new believer, okay, describes the experience of every believer when they receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion through repentance and faith in Jesus. And... It is an unrepeatable and permanent gift. All right, that's, that's how I'm seeing, like you may, you may disagree, all right, and we can talk about that, all right, I love talking about theology and Bible and getting into the text, all right, but so, so, so that is spirit, like the, the spirit comes and he changes us and he causes us to be born again and now we have this new life in Christ. And the, 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 the experience here for the disciples um, just r- real quick here, um, you say, well, well, what about them? Like, I mean, this is a legit question. Like, what about the, the disciples? Um, like, weren't they already in with Jesus? Like, didn't they already believe in him? Surely weren't they already born again? And I would say, yes. Okay, I would say yes. And so you say, like, well, then what is John 20 all about? Like, when Jesus breathes on them and, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the best explanation I have for that is that it is an acted out prophecy of what is about to happen at Pentecost, all right? But, but regardless, okay, regardless of how you see that and interpret that, okay, what, what we understand for sure is that this is the moment that the new covenant is being launched. The birth of the church is exploding, okay, in the spirit, the fulfillment of the promises of the new covenant where the spirit won't just kind of come temporarily and rest on us for a short season where we're empowered for ministry and to do what God wants us to do. But now in the new covenant, the spirit comes and dwells in us, empowering us to do everything that God wants us to do and helping us to fulfill his commands. Okay, that is spirit baptism. That is what is happening here. And if you are in Christ, it's what's happened to you. Now, spirit filling is this, and this is just to replay a, a definition from a few weeks ago. So, so important. To be filled with the Spirit is to come under progressively more intense and intimate influence of the Spirit. It happens 
to us after conversion in varying degrees. It is repeatable, but not permanent. Okay, so, and I wanna, we're going to keep good because we're going to see like Acts 6, we, we see that Stephen is described as full of the Spirit. Okay, so this is like ongoing, steady, okay, waves of him being filled with the Spirit where it just characterizes his life, all right? And there are these moments of spontaneous fill, filling, okay, where they are empowered for service or like to die a martyr's death. At the end of Acts 7, it says Stephen, once again, is full of the Spirit because as people are stoning him, he is falling to his death and forgiving them. Wow. So listen, I know that's a lot, but I just want to like, spirit baptism, you're in Christ, boom, you have been baptized in the spirit. But we keep like Ephesians 5.18, we keep seeking to be being filled with the spirit, continuous, steady reality as we pursue more and more and more of God. We got, we got that? Man, you guys are awesome. I love you guys. All right. So, 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 so what's going on here, right? What's going on here is this, this primary manifestation of the Spirit baptizing and filling them in this moment, clearly, okay, the two are going together here, is that they are speaking bold words about the risen Christ. And I love, I love what's happening here in, in Acts chapter 2, okay? God is fulfilling his promise. Jesus is perform- pushing forward his mission. Uh, the wonders of God are, are, are extraordinarily working through ordinary people. Okay, you following me here? Okay, this is relevant if you're ordinary like me, all right? And so, and so but, but, but even beyond that, okay, what I love here is the comprehensive scope, okay, of both the witnesses and the crowd. Please pay attention to this. It seems clear that This baptism of the Holy Spirit is not coming upon simply 12 apostles. It is coming on all 120 that are gathered. I mean, how else do you explain the the crowds that are are coming uh, to to faith and and, and all of these people hearing in all of these different languages, right? I mean, so, so it seems, and, okay, and if you're not, if you don't buy that, okay, how about this? When we read in verse 17, of this prophecy being fulfilled from the book of Joel. What does it say in verse 17? And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What's happening here? Oh, men and women. (laughs) Men and women. The whole stinking church. The whole church. Baptized. Filled. Listen, let me just, all right. I dream of the day. I dream of the day, and I believe it's coming, right? I believe this is what we're talking about, the fullness of God in us, overflowing through us. I dream of the day when every person at Redemption Hill is so full of God that they cannot help but talk about him. Every, everyone. Do I have a vision card up in here? I don't even know. I probably do. Maybe not. Wherever, like, just look at your vision. Man, that's too bad. All right, on the back of your vision card, it has this description, okay? And at the end, it says, everyone, everywhere. That's not like, oh, yeah, that would be nice. No, we're praying for that. We're asking God for that. Men and women, the whole church engaged in proclaiming Christ. And it's not just comprehensive in scope as far as the witnesses is comprehensive in scope in terms of the crowd. 
So as I just shared, people had pilgrims to, to Jerusalem from all over the known world. Okay, so we have here North Africa, Libya, and Egypt, the Middle East, Mesopotamia, and Parthian, which is uh, modern-day Iran, all right? Um, all the way around to present-day Turkey and Rome, an area so vast that Luke can speak probably hyperbolically and say that people from every nation under heaven have gathered here in Jerusalem to, boom, witness the coming of the Spirit and hear the gospel in their own language. Big deal, big big deal. And so as we peer into this scene, what we have is really like a reversal of Babel, okay? In Genesis chapter 11, you remember that that people wanted to be like God. They wanted to ascend to the heavens, and so God scattered them into different nations and languages, but now he's bringing them back together. And now nations are coming together and languages are coming together and man is not ascending to God, but God is descending to man to light them up with who he is. But amazingly, listen, amazingly, even as as amazing as these wonders were, some, it says, some wondered what was going on. What does this mean? And next week we're going to see what it means with the preaching of Peter's sermon. But it says that others mocked them. Others said, man, they've had too much to drink. (laughs) And so I think the challenge for us is to say not as what, what was their response, but what is our response? What is your response to the coming of Jesus Christ, to his life, death, and resurrection? What is your response to him saying, I want to give you whether for the first time or as an ongoing more and more full experience of my Holy Spirit who will dwell in you. Here's my prayer today. I want to invite the band to to come on up and lead us in a time of response. Listen, my, my prayer, and I would even ask you as I lead us in a time of prayer, is to simply, listen, open your hands before God. And listen, if you, if you would like, and, and, and you don't have to if you're uncomfortable to do that, if you're not ready to serve, if you don't feel that in your heart, don't do it. But I would ask you to, to open your hands before God as, as, as representative of an open heart that says, God, whatever you want for me, I say yes. Okay? Not like maybe, not like no, not like Maybe later, God, okay, no, like, yes, right now. And so I want to lead us in a time of prayer, and then I'm going to have some friends come down as we sing. And, and just like the early church prayed together, we're going to be ready to pray together. And so uh, people are going to be down here. I'm going to be down here if you would like prayer this morning. For anything that, that we're praying about here together this morning, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer even as we sing. Let's pray together. God, would you? Help us to say yes to you. God, I don't know what yes needs to come from each person's heart this morning. But God, you do. And God, I trust and believe that your spirit is strong right now to even be speaking words of life into the hearts of every person in this room. God, for any person that needs just to say yes to Christ, just for the first time and and receive that baptism of your spirit, God, we pray that they would do so today. Yes, today. 
God for maybe some of us that have heard about a culture of prayer and they've heard Pastor Tanner talk about it like crazy and act all fanatical about here, about prayer or whatever. But maybe they would say, you know what, man, I haven't experienced that kind of prayer life and I want to experience that kind of prayer life. By the power of your spirit, God, would you lead them to say yes to you today? God, whatever is happening in each person's soul, where they need your power, they need your breakthrough, God, I pray that they would voice that to you and say, yes, God, I want to receive whatever you want to give. And God, I pray that we would have many people, even just as the early church prayed together, we're united in prayer. God, I pray that we would see many people respond by coming and receiving prayer. In the name of Christ.